right. Good morning, church. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians is where we're going to be today as uh, we are actually going to jump into our series on the home today. Um, last week was amazing, and I think for, thanks to all of you who showed up to the campaign uh, layout and presentation over in the gym, gymatorium, uh, last Sunday night. It was really great to be together. I want to let you know, uh, first of all, where this campus is headed. Um, the end date to all of the things that we're going to be discussing is going to be October the 30th. It's going to be a Sunday morning, and it's going to be called Commitment Sunday. And basically what that's going to be is all the conversations from last week all the way through the month of October leading up to October 30th is us going to be talking about is what can all of us do together to come together to do a, a capital campaign to, in order to invest in uh, the, the building project that you saw laid out last Sunday night. So that's what we're going to be doing. And I ask, I ask you, just ask the Lord, just begin to pray and ask the Lord to move on your heart about what he would do, what he would have you do um, on that commitment Sunday. So what you're going to be asked to do is to commit to an amount above the tithe, um, and it's going to be a three-year commitment, a financial commitment that all of us are coming together to commit to so that we can do this project and, and address some of these facility needs that we have on this, this campus. We have, let me just give you a, a little uh, estimate here. We're looking at the project being from I don't know, 3.5 to $4 million, somewhere in there, to do a complete renovation, a state-of-the-art student facility, along with being able to use those facilities for multi-purposes and all kinds of things that we really need on our campus. Now, to give you some perspective on that, there's 330 giving households uh, in, on this campus. In other words, there's 330 givers. So you'd have a whole family, and they all represent one gift. Uh, well, we have 330 givers. Um, if you will, uh, on this campus. And I just did some math on that. And I thought if you divide 3.5 by 330 households and you spread it out over three years, what that ends up being, if all of us did the exact same, it would be $3,800 per year for three years. And we would pay cash for the whole project. Now that's just a perspective. Some of you are like, no way I could do 3500 a year, right? Some of you might not be able to make that sacrifice, but others of us can, wouldn't even, wouldn't even uh, think about that amount that very much, and it would be no problem. But all of us together, balanced together, we have the potential, I believe, uh, with the Lord and all of us doing what we can above the tithe to pay cash totally for that and even move on to other things that we desperately need on this campus. And so I just wanted to kind of help give you some perspective on that. It will take all of us doing something, doing what we can together to see this happen. And so I just ask you to pray. Just ask the Lord from now until October 30th as we're investing in the kingdom because it's all about the gospel kingdom. It's not about a building. A building is a tool we have to be able to do gospel ministry. And it's a wonderful tool, but it has become a liability. And it's a, we are a family, and it's a, a building that our family owns. Think of it that way. And it is a severe liability, and we need to invest in our facilities on this campus. And so I would ask you to just pray. Just ask the Lord, what would you have me do? And on that Commitment Sunday, you're going to get a card or probably a link or something like that where you can just pledge and say, here's what I'm able to do over the next three years, and we'll take that. We'll total it all together, all of us as a family. We'll see what that ends up being, and we will begin to move forward on that project. Amen? 
Okay, so just be praying along this month with me on that. Okay, today we start a series on the home, and we're going into a particular area of Scripture where if you really want a bedrock layout of how to order your home in a Christian manner, this is where you would go. Ephesians chapter 5 and then verse and chapter 6 as well. Um, this is a, a consolidated portion of Scripture that really lays out home principles from the Lord in His Word and how to have healthy, strong homes. And that's what we want. We want that really more than anything, especially for us in the church. We want to make sure our homes are strong and healthy. And so this is the portion of Scripture where that starts. So what we're going to do today is start in chapter 5, and I'm going to explain why. But we're going to read verse 1 down to verse 10, and this is the bedrock of a strong, healthy home, okay? So let me, let me read it. Just follow along with me. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. The Lord says through Paul, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we just uh, pause right now and we sit quietly with our Bibles in our laps, but our minds and our hearts are focused on you in a very special and devoted way right now. And Lord, we pray that as we do, you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit. To be full of the Word is to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray you fill our hearts, enlighten us, empower us, and strengthen us to be your people. So open our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, to guide our meditations. Um, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think we are all very aware of how critical the home can be in the life of a human being. Healthy homes, as you've probably heard many times, healthy homes are the bedrock of a, of a strong society. They really, really are. Um, healthy homes tend to produce healthy people or healthier people. The healthier the home, the healthier the person uh, in that regard. And conversely, dysfunctional homes or highly dysfunctional homes can have negative long-time effects on the life of a human being. In fact, in ways that you probably aren't even aware of. 
And many times that can happen. Um, you know, you sign up for counseling, and by the way, we don't uh, frown at counseling here. We actually celebrate counseling, and we even say, go to counseling even if you think you don't need any counseling, just for a checkup. I think it's really great. We love counseling. In fact, I have done counseling. And when I signed up for counseling, I, I just wanted to get some help, and I began to fill out a questionnaire that they do. If you sign up for counseling, that's what they do. They want to know a little bit about you before you go in. And if you fill out that questionnaire, they ask like a third of the questions, maybe half of the time is spent asking you about your childhood. How was your home life? Big question, and they just leave a big open blank. Fill it in, you know. Uh, tell me all about your experiences. Was it traumatic? Is there anything? But it's all about your home life. Because what they know, and facts say this, studies show it hands down over and over and over, that people can be later on in life, and things can erupt in your heart, in your life, in your mind, and you have no idea where it's coming from. You have no idea what you're struggling with. And all of a sudden, through the process of counseling, you figure out that maybe it was, it was really tied to something that happened in your childhood that you had just stuffed, and it was down there. You just didn't know about it and it came out later on in life and now you're struggling with something that actually came from your home life um, a long time ago. The home is powerful. The home is a, a powerful and critical element in the life of a human being. And so the home is the place where we need to make sure we have healthy, strong homes because it has this kind of power in the life of a human being. The home is a place where we receive much of the core needs we have as a human being that we can't get anywhere else on the earth. God has framed us to need core things. Um, and the home is really the only place where we can get it. A couple of those, I've dealt with this in circle series on our friendships, but this is also mostly true about home. First, acceptance and belonging. Really, only the home and our family can really give us the kind of acceptance and belonging that God wants us to see and feel from his type of acceptance and belonging. The place where you feel accepted and you belong, not because of a performance that you do or, or something that you produce for another person, but because of who you are. It's simply because who you are. And you have family around you that say, I love you because I love you. And there's no other reason. Because you're you. I love you because I, it's you. There is no other place on the earth where you can get that, not even marriage. Home is the only place where you can feel the acceptance and belonging that God wants you to have with him. It's his kind of acceptance. It's his kind of belonging in covenant. And so we need that. But then also identity, discovery, and formation. I talked to you about that in during the Circle series where we, we discover who we are from outside in, not from inside out. And that's converse to our culture these days. But we learn who we are because we just showed up. <laughs> I was born and I just started living life. And uh, I grew in the knowledge of who I am by those around me telling me who I am and me growing in who I am in that process. I didn't make me. You didn't make you. We've had to discover who we are and our purpose and meaning in life. And we discover all of that in a process. Well, guess what the core foundational institution is that God ordained that you would receive that type of thing. The home. The home. Primarily. And that's why it is so damaging when it is highly dysfunctional. Your identity is affected. Your acceptance and belonging, a core need that you have, if you don't really sense that from your home life, you can struggle your whole life with that. And that is why it's so tragic to be an orphan in the Bible. 
And the Bible has this tenderheartedness of God that says, I'm close to those because they don't have it like other people do. These core needs are being met there. It's critical that we understand the dynamics of a healthy home, a healthy and strong home. And let me say, yes, all of this dysfunction. As a matter of fact, I would say all of us at some level have dysfunction junction at home. Amen. Right? We all have dysfunction because we're all fallen. We all have sin. And all of us also in the gospel and in the family of God can have all of the things that maybe negatively influence us from our home life. We can heal totally and be a whole person beyond that because of Christ and what he provides us. So there is hope. We're not just stuck in it all the rest of our life. We can actually get healing and help. But we need to build healthy homes because there's this kind of effect in the world on human beings. The Apostle Paul writes the text that we read today. He wrote the letter to a church in Asia Minor, a city called Ephesus. And by the way, this is free. Let's throw it off to the side. Ephesus is also the first church where the Apostle John wrote Revelation. You take the, the, the letter to Ephesus written by Paul and you look at the first letter from the Lord through John. It's an interesting parallel. You go, just uh, have your way with that. That was free. Um, but it's an, it's an awesome study if you want to look at it that way. But think about what, the way Paul writes when he talks, when he's writing this letter to the church. He doesn't just start off with things that you need to go do and ways you need to behave. Because um, that's not the essence of Christianity and that's where, he's, that's where he's working from. Really what Paul does when he starts off in Ephesians 1 is he starts off in the stratosphere of theology with God and who God is and what he's done. Um, and that's where he begins. So think of uh, Ephesians as a, like a mountain and he starts at the peak. With God, who God is, God's nature, and the works that God has done. And we're to meditate on those things. But then from there, throughout the book, you'll hear him say several things over and over and over. Therefore, he'll say, therefore, therefore, therefore. Because of this, therefore, do this. Or, or be this, or think this. Uh, and, and because of that, then therefore, think this. He says, therefore, over and over and over throughout the chapters. Especially starting in, verse, in chapter 4. But he also says, because of this, a lot. Because of this, this. Because of this, this. Well, basically what he's doing is he's, he's taking from uh, the peak of the theology of God and he's descending into the valley of everyday life for the Christian. And he's saying, you don't just do things. You actually t- attach your everyday life to who God is. And that's the process of a Christian. And then when he gets to chapter 5, he's getting into the rubber meets the road and he starts talking about home life. And how we should order our homes according to who God is and what he's done. What does the home look like when the gospel begins to invade every detail of home life? How does that home get ordered when he is the Lord? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to talk about it next week and the following week in very practical ways. In very practical ways. In very tangible ways ways. But before we get to the practices, best practices, and the tricks of the trade, if you will, for parents and marriage and all those sorts of things, we need a whole lot more than the tricks. We need a whole lot more than that. And that's the point this morning with this text. And so what he's going to say very first is the very first thing that is needed for a home to be strong and healthy is that everyone in that home, especially parents, especially the father, needs to open this heart, their hearts, 
to the Lord and His presence, and they need to open the door of their home, and they need to invite the Lord, the Lord in, in His presence, to reign on a throne, just picture a throne in the middle of your house, and that that's where He resides, and He resides in this home, and He is the Lord of this home. He comes, and He is the Lord of this home. It is step one, and it is the most essential step that you can have to have a healthy and a strong home is to invite Him in to be present, to be the Lord, to guide everything that takes place in your home. When He comes in, there is a whole host of things He brings with Him. And that's what Paul's kind of setting it up for us today, is that when we start with who God is, we invite his presence into our home, there's a host of things that he is going to bring in with him. Because you know what? There's a whole lot of things that we're really trying to get in your home that are really not good. And you had better be proactive. My wife and I were asleep, it was three in the morning, and uh, this is months ago, and I woke up because I heard something, but I couldn't tell that I dreamed that I heard it or did I actually hear it. Y'all with me on that? Oh, thank you. Y'all are so affirming. Dripping just sat there and looked at me. I was like, Am I, have I lost my mind? Okay, anyway, good. Thank you for that. I'm not crazy. In the middle of the night, I wake up because this is what I heard. I heard the oak tree above my roof outside, um, something in the branches, like, and then I heard thud, and I mean thud like, like that much bass. Like, and, and, and this is how heavy the thing was or whatever it is. I, my initial thought was, what is my son, who's a freshman in high school, doing on the roof and in the oak tree? This is two stories up. Like, he is going to kill himself. That was my first firing of a neuron in my brain at 3 in the morning when I heard this thing. I thought it was my son, Will. And then I looked at the time. It's 3 in the morning. I was like, oh, it's not 11. I thought, you know, I thought it might have been like 11 and he's on the roof. It's 3 in the morning. There's no way he is up at 3 in the morning, uh, at least I don't think. Um, but that's how heavy this thing was. And then I began to hear, after a second or two, the thing started walking across the roof. And it was like, it was like, <laughs> I'm like, is there a man on my roof? <laughs> I was like, what? Christy and I are both sitting up. Did you hear that? I heard that. Or, like, we already had all the conversation about what in the world is that. The next thing we heard, they made it all the way over right above where our bed is. And I could hear, almost like he's coming through the wall right there, claws. I mean, it was like he was trying to, I don't know, it was like ripping up shingles or something. I mean, it sounded like a destruction was happening on top of my roof. And I, we, I got up, I tried to figure out where is he on the roof. Maybe I can hit the wall. And finally, I figured out this is a rodent. And I didn't know uh, what, but I was like, How, this is a big one. I don't know what kind of, you know, this is a, 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 like a cougar or something. I mean, what, how, this thing is huge. Um, so finally it went away. An hour and a half later, our hearts calmed down and we go to sleep. You been there? Two nights later, boom, scratch, scratch, scratch. And I'm like, what is the deal? What, did he find something? Like, what is this? So this happens like every other night for a while. And Eventually, I'm tired of not getting sleep, 
right? Because you wake up enough at 3 in the morning, you start waking up at 3 in the morning, even if it doesn't happen. And I'm like, this is messing up our sleep. Our family's suffering because of it. Things are getting tense because all of us are tired. And it's not, we're not getting a good night's sleep. So I'm thinking, I've got to do something about this. So I'm sitting in, in the morning drinking coffee, doing my time. And I look out on my driveway, and there is this giant possum. And he, <laughs> I mean, this dude was huge. And I said, that's the culprit. I uh, got him. And so I went to the experts, the Google, and to figure out how do I get rid of a possum that apparently is climbing trees, dropping on my roof, and creating havoc. And it said cayenne pepper. Well, my grandfather's from Louisiana. I attached for that. I said, that sounds great. So I went to Sam's to buy a five-gallon drum of cayenne pepper. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? You can buy five gallons of cereal. But I... I uh, found me a jug of cayenne pepper, and I went up on my roof, and I thought my neighbors are going to think I'm nuts, but I'm up there throwing red stuff all over the place, sneezing and crying and all that, and I'm shaking it up in the tree because I don't want it to come down the limb that he keeps falling off of and all that, so I think I found that, and I, I powdered everything on top of my roof, and y'all, not one moment, now I have not had one encounter with that thing on my roof since. So, thanks for the hand. Uh, so you heard it here in a sermon that cayenne pepper, I know my neighbors were like, is he hanging garlic, like trying to keep the demons away? Like what's going on around here? But it worked. It worked. Guys, there is a whole host of things that if you don't have discernment, you'll just let right in your home. And they will wreak havoc in your home. And they will affect your kids' hearts. If you are not proactive, if you are passive in your home because you're tired and you live in a busy society and things are just all going along and you just decide, well, I get home, I just want to relax and I don't have the diligence, I don't have the energy to really make sure that I'm guarding my home on a daily basis and keeping my watch up in my home. You, it, takes, it takes proactive. It takes diligence. It takes you being willing not to be passive in something so very important. You're going to have to build it. And the very first thing you have to make sure is that you have invited the Lord to be the Lord of your home. And when he comes, he'll bring three things from our text. I'm going to fly through these, so listen quick. He brings first the power to love sacrificially. This is one thing you must have, especially in your home. The power to love one another sacrificially. We have this power in the church to be able to love sacrificially and selflessly for others, but you really need this in your home. And he brings it. Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, we talk about loving each other in all kinds of ways in our society. We say, I love pizza and I love my kids. And hopefully they're the different level of love there, right? Um, but we throw word, the word love around to where it's so diluted it means hardly anything. The love the Bible's talking about is a demonstration of a person sacrificing their own wants, sacrificing their own convenience so that another person can benefit from their sacrifice. And they do it willingly. Okay? That is the love the Bible's talking about. You can call it benevolence. You can call it sacrifice. You can call it uh, generosity. You can call it all kinds of things. But it's summed up in the one word in the Bible, love. And that love is God's divine kind of love for humanity. And the Bible says that he put that type of love on demonstration for all to see in the cross of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who left his throne in heaven. He didn't hold his place. He became a pauper from a prince in heaven. He became a man just like us. He lived a life where he didn't own anything and he didn't seek out all the pleasures that we normally think. And he suffered. He suffered on our behalf. 
He was our substitutionary sacrifice, atoning sacrifice on the cross. He took all of God's wrath that we deserve upon himself. Why? So that through his death, we can be alive and know the Lord and know the God who made us. He did all of that to demonstrate how he loves. It was a demonstration. And Paul says, walk in love in that same way. Same way. We're not talking about emotional chill bumps, I love you so much, that's all great. When we're talking about love in a home, we're talking about sacrifice of self for the welfare of another person. And putting that on demonstration constantly through every day, all kinds of interactions that we have. Self is second, others first in my home, first. When the Lord When the Lord is first, when the Lord is present in our home, he'll give us power to love each other that way. And the problem with that is, that's not the way we are naturally. You know, when kids are born, uh, it's all about them. You know, I remember my kids, when we were young, all kids do this. They never played with that toy. I'm getting rid of it. They've even outgrown it until I go give it to another kid. All of a sudden you want it. No, I want that back. You know, it's like, you know. Being selfish is like instinctive for us as human beings in our fallen state. We just, we just breathe that in. It's just natural for us. And we need something. The gravity in our heart is so powerful to be selfish. We need some power outside of ourselves, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come and knock that gravity loose and free us to love others sacrificially the way he did us. And that comes in the gospel. Well, that's what he brings when you make him Lord. He gives you power to do that. He knocks that gravity loose of selfishness. And he lets your family love each other sacrificially. The five love languages. Gary Chapman wrote a book. I, I encourage you to do this. Y'all heard of this. He was a counselor. He's counseling a marriage couple. And they're both, and he says, I see that they're both loving each other. But they're loving each other in ways that the other doesn't feel like that's love. Prime example, my wife is quality time. She wants me to go with her shopping. That's what that means. So, uh, so that's quality time, right? Uh, I actually, quality time, there's a lot to it. But mine is acts of service. So I truly cut the grass, clean off the back porch, and show love to my wife. That ain't love to her. That ain't love. What are you talking about? You just, clean, you just did the grass, you know? Uh, but I'm thinking I'm loving, I'm, I'm cleaning up the house, I'm doing stuff for her, and, you know, I did the dishes, you know, she's like, about time, you know, like, it, it, to her, that's not love. How did she, she has a natural language that she speaks love, and she probably got a lot of it from her family, that family home said, this is how we communicate love, and so that's how you communicate love in her home, and mine was a different deal. Well, then all of a sudden, we speak these different languages, and we're missing each other, you know, quality time to me, yeah, yeah, Check in with you every day, you know, for a little while. I'm good, you know. You all right? I'm good. You had a good day? Good, right? You know, uh, for, for her, that was a big deal. And we kept missing each other. And, and he was saying, man, if, if there's something that connects whenever you actually learn the love languages of the people in your home and you actually love them the way they, they feel loved that, 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 and, and you begin to do that. The problem is, is that speaking another language is very difficult. Amen. I had a roommate in college, he was from Puerto Rico broken English. We had a long conversation and he stopped me after about 30 minutes. He said, I need a break. He says, uh, key, it takes every muscle in my body to talk to you, right? Because speaking another language is hard. 
And you know what? You still need sacrificial love to do love languages. Will you figure out their love language and you begin to love them the way they want? It takes, it takes a lot of work. And I realize, too, a lot of husbands, they come to counseling. I'm talking about love languages. It seems to get to get solved. He does great for like four days. And then it's like gone again, right? You need power. You need the Lord to help you love sacrificially. You need power. Oh. So second thing the Lord's going to bring is the power to live in purity. There's a whole host of, of things that Paul lists here that are things that are pleasurable on the surface initially. But we know intrinsically and according to conscience that that will kill good things in me. That behavior, that thought, whatever it is, that will kill good things in me. And you know it. From an unhealthy diet, I think that's a good principle. How many of you? It's been hard. You know, you get up, you're going to get the grilled chicken. I'm going to get the grilled chicken at Wendy's. And you pull up at the grilled chicken and you go, I want the double meat with uh, extra large fries. Right? I am so guilty. All right? Um, But you know how powerless you are, really, to do the things that you know are healthy for you. You know, all of us do. You try to quit smoking. You try to quit something that you know it's, you're powerless to do it. You know it's not good for you, but you do it anyway. And you keep doing it. We all, we all have that kind of thing. And Paul's mentioning things. It's not just an unhealthy diet. He's talking about, I mean, we can go into substance abuse. We can go into porn. We can go into gossip. We all know there's things that we invite into our life and into our heart that initially are pleasurable. Actually are pleasurable. But we know it's killing something good. It's corrupting something good in us. We know it's doing that. And Paul is mentioning these things as saying, hey, you're the children of the light. This stuff should not even be named among you. Why? Because it kills something good in you. It corrupts something good in you. It will corrupt you. These things will corrupt your heart. It will corrupt your home. And you need to be proactive. Guard your home. And God gives you the power which you don't have in and of yourself to be pure. God gives you the power, and so you need his presence more than anything else. You can try to fix yourself. You can try to fight it. You can try to overcome your own nature. You will fail. You need the Lord and his presence and power and his grace in your heart and in your home. And that's what he brings with him when you make him Lord. Thirdly, the power to walk in truth. Walk in truth. When you talk about truth, when he's talking about walking in the light at the very end, in verse verse 9 to 10, he's talking about walking in the light. What is light? Well, light, in many ways, in many contexts, it represents truth. Who God is being declared and us hearing what is true about the reality of ourselves and who God is and the world and everything. When we hear what is true, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you. The truth always makes you free. It's a principle of counseling. When you go into counseling, hopefully that counselor is going to just bounce truth off of you and you're going to work your way into the truth of the situation and you're going to work your way into the truth and the truth's going to heal you. All right? Truth is the most important thing. And many times the Bible talks about light in a sense it's talking about truth. The light of God's word, the light of Jesus, the, the light of the world, truth. The truth about our situation and our reality. Paul says this, he says, interesting phrase there, you were once darkness, and then he says, but now you are light. That's a proper translation. He did not say, you were in darkness, and now you are in light. He said, you were darkness, now you are light. That has everything not to do position, it has everything to do with identity. Christianity 
is not a person doing different things. Christianity is a person becoming different in their own nature. And Jesus makes us inside out different. And yes, hopefully that plays out to how you do and the choices you make. You want different things in life now. All of a sudden you're different. But you are different. Your identity is different. And Paul says you are light. You are light. You are a child of the light. You've been born in the light and you are the light. Now live your life in accordance with that. You know who you are now? Now live according to who you are. And don't go doing things that your old person, that who you were. Live according to who you are in the light now. So what does that mean? Well, it means to always live in a, in a state where you're analyzing your life to make sure that you're living your life and your home is aligned with God's word. I'm aligning my life and I'm living in my life like a child of God, and I live it in alignment with him in his word. That is to walk in the light. That's what that means. And what I found in my home, I've been married 24 years, and I've got a senior about to graduate at Baylor. I've got a senior about to graduate high school, and I've got a freshman in high school. And what I found is, is that in the parenting phases, you know, I was starting off as commander, you know, and then I get into the coaching phase of coaching them and giving them some freedom, and I can still snatch you off the field. You know what I mean? Uh, I got in coaching. Uh, but now I'm finding that it was my oldest daughter. Like when I, we sent her off to college, and it was like, I was like, I was great. Dropped her off at college, said, hey, girl, go get them. You're the best. And I run home. I get home from work on the first night, and I'm like, man, it is so quiet. Like, this is weird. It feels like something's missing, and she is missing. And uh, y'all had that? Anybody here? Okay, uh, let's just huddle up and comfort each other. Uh, that is rough. It's rough like because you're so used to a certain number. Anyway, uh, so I'm in that launch phase where now my daughter, she's an adult. I am a companion. She is a sister in Christ. I am here for her if she needs me at all times for the rest of her life because I'm dad. But she's on her own. And I find myself feeling very often, I hope, that the culture that she came up under in my home, I hope the taste buds she developed in my home, spiritually taste buds, I hope everything she developed in the culture of my home now guides her and shapes her for the rest of her life. I hope. Not always is that the case. You can do as good as you can and it just... You know, I mean, that happens. It does happen. And I, but I'm in that phase where I'm, they're launching out. They're launching out. And I have a senior that's about to launch out and go to college, and I'm feeling this launching phase. And even in that, though, this past week I thought, I'm still seeking to say, in my home is my home aligned with God's word. And I have to do that every single day. And I ask for God's wisdom, what's not in alignment? Because you're going to have those moments when your kids, you know, they start feeling like something starts, everything's in alignment, and then all of a sudden something starts, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's not in alignment with God's word. How am I going to address that? And, you know, they start getting friends that, you know, are like, oh, what are they like? And, okay, so they're like that. Oh, okay. You know, and you're like, mm, you know, <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden you go, well, if I, I need wisdom, Lord. How do I handle this? And it's, uh, this is causing tension. 
some things are getting out of alignment. I need to move in here. And, and you know, if you go in too strong and too hard, you might make it worse. And, Lord, Lord how do you, and then you pray, and you get on your knees, and you feel the tension in your heart, and you hold it, and you hold it, and you have conversations, and you, you seek to work on the heart of your child, and, and you keep working on the heart, and you keep praying, and then it starts coming back in alignment, and you're like, praise God. <laughs> praise God. Uh, you know, but, and it's all of that, and it's constant. It's constant. It never goes away. You're always feeling like things always want to feel like they get out of alignment and they always need to come back and you're always struggling and you need prayer and you need the Lord and you need wisdom and you need to know those things. But you need him. You need him. Living in the light. Another thing, living in the light, lastly, is living in the open. Living your life in the open. Totally true. Inside and out, everything in my life aligns with what is right, good, and true couple of examples. We've always had, not because we're scared of anything or doubting or anything, but all our kids and, and myself and my wife included, all of us can track all of our devices all over town uh, all the time. And we all know where everybody is. And that's unfortunate sometimes because they see I'm passing a grocery store and they're like, hey, can you run in there and grab X? You know, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, and other times I can't surprise my wife with gifts anymore. She knows I went by that place. She knows what that's about. So anyway, um, but why would I not want that? I mean, w one thing the Bible talks about when it says live in the light, it's live in the open. I live my life completely in the open for others to see, and I should be okay with that. Um, usually, darkness is associated with secret, and that fosters sin, and it fosters the sin of power of sin in our hearts and our lives. And so why does a burglar do what they do at night? Well, at least they used to. Now, broad day, they're like, whatever. But used to, there was a shame associated. There was a presence. They didn't want their face to be seen. They want to do it in secret. It's secret. And so the Bible, when it used dark and light language, is secret and come to know and be aware. Have others aware in your life. One example of this is my phone. Um, I've always had total lockdown stuff from another person on my phone where I can't even access things that are unhealthy. Um, but I add another measure on that, and there's a th an app called Covenant Eyes. Guys, if you haven't had Covenant Eyes, I strongly recommend that you do this. Um, it's, you put the app on there. It's a VPN guide. And basically, um, I have uh, something that monitors every single thing that happens on my phone all the time. Here's why I say you need to do that. Because I know there's not a man in this room driving down 35, and you see some porn st uh, store, and then you, got, you just feel like i got to go in there. Right? You probably don't. Why? I wouldn't show my face in a place like that. I wouldn't want to go there. But even if you were tempted, you wouldn't even do it because you know you've got to show your face to go in such a place. Right? There's this accountability factor that helps you, like even if you were tempted. But what about on your phone? What about right here in the palm of your hand where no one sees? You see how much more powerful that is? It's powerful and it's right there. So what do you do? Well, give it the same openness and transparency that you would give walking in a store give it the same transparency put covenant eyes on there and what i do is i have covenant eyes takes a i guess a report of every single thing that happens on my phone and it sends an entire report to rob mcclellan every month so i know everything i do rob will see what will that help me do it helps me live in the light you say well what about your privacy yeah, privacy is important. But what I've decided is my privacy is not as important as my purity. And I am going to live in the light. 
And I know that's healthy for me, and I know it's good for me, and I'm going to live there, and I want to live there. But living in the light also means living in the open with other people, living with accountability. Others can see into my life. I can see into theirs. Living with accountability. Walking in the truth, walking in the light is healthy and whole. Make sure your home is walking in the truth. And God, when he comes, will give you the power to live in the open, to live in the light. Hurricane Ike hit Gilchrist, Texas in 2008. I've showed you all this before, but I still want to show you because it's a pretty powerful illustration near Galveston. And the coastline was completely wiped out. And there was this picture that was circulating about the damage. And everybody began to go, what's the deal with that house right there? Have you all seen this? Uh, I've showed it to you before. But uh, it's a really interesting story. All the houses, the place used to have houses everywhere, all along there, and it was all completely wiped out. And this one house looks as if nothing happened. And the story that was circulated about that one house was that back in the 1950s, something happened in that very spot that, uh, I can't remember, someone died or someone did something wrong or whatever, and that was the supernatural mystery about that particular lot, and all this stuff was spread out. Well, I got to thinking, that's interesting. I'd like to look into that. Well, it's not so mysterious after all. It's actually all of those houses that are wiped out were built in the 1950s or, or close to it, and they had those codes of, of building regulation. This one was the only one, or very few, that actually was torn down the year before and rebuilt with the codes of the modern codes of 2008 before the hurricane hit. From foundation all the way to the roof, it was built to code. And guess what? It made it. With the storm surge, with the winds and everything, it made it. It looks like nothing even happened. And I say that to say this. You know, you might think a strong and healthy home, man, that's a mystery. Some people just lands on them. They just got a happy home. It just happens. And by the way, no. Every home, I don't care what you see on social media, we're all a mess. We're all stressed. We're all working like crazy. We're all fighting to make sure our families are staying intact. And we're all healthy hearts. I mean, it's a fight all the time. So don't think that, first of all, it just drops on some people and you don't happen to be the one. No. But you know what? Everybody can have a strong and healthy home. Because God's given us the code. It's not a great mystery. But you build it brick by brick and you build it day by day. It is there and you can have it. First step, invite the Lord into your home. Make him the Lord. And determine to do that. And everything that happens, even in your own heart, in every daily decision, Align it with his will, with his word, with his ways. Step number one, because he'll bring you the power to do that. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the code. Very specific things. Very specific things of how the gospel comes into the home. It's surprisingly practical. It will always prove true. Always prove true. It may cut across things that you think. It may make you go, wait a minute, like what would that mean for me? It may, it may cut across some things that you think. It may cut across some things that you do right now. But if you will align it with the Lord, you will experience the flourishing of it in your home. If you will align it, you will. And we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. So stay, stay tuned with us. Bring a friend. Amen. Y'all still with me? Okay, good. I know y'all hungry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we want our church especially to have homes that are deeply abiding in your presence. Lord, we want you to be the Lord of our homes. And Lord, we know when we invite you in that you begin a work of renovation 
into a home, you can do that. And it might involve tearing down some things and rebuilding some things. And so, Lord, we, we open ourselves to you to say, help us do this process, Lord. We, we realize how important a home is. And we want them to be healthy. So we ask you to take charge and begin to work. Lord, even tonight, families that are present right here, I pray you would lead them in wisdom, maybe even tonight, that they would just have some expression of putting you in the center of their home, whether it's a prayer or a Bible study or a huddle up or whatever, something simple, that they would just express that they're inviting you into their home to be the Lord of their home. Uh, give us wisdom in that and how to, how to do that best for us individually. So, Lord, just speak to us now in this time of response song. As we sing, hear our prayer, do business with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand with me all across the room. Let's just sing this song together.